0: Nobody cares about your grand vision if they can't trust you with the simple things, or as the Bible would say, if you're faithful with small things, then I'll trust you with big things. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Influencers
1: Podcast. I'm Scott Young, along with our co-host, Dave Donaldson. What a great joy, and you've tuned in on a great day. Our guest today, Scott Wozniak, CEO of Swaz. Consulting. I just like saying that word. Swaz <laughs> consulting. He specializes in building legendary brands. He's a smart guy, part of the Mensa Society. So that's why we have Dave Donaldson on with us today, because he loves to talk to smart people. He has worked with many corporations, helping them move forward. But of course, my favorite he's worked with is Chick-fil-A. I ate some today in preparation for this podcast. Right. Good training. He's an author of many books, including moving your, Making Your Brand Legendary, Creating Raving Fans. And Scott, we are so glad that you've joined us on the Influencers Podcast. Thanks for being a part of today.
0: Yeah, always looking forward to It's great hanging with folks I like, man. Dave, good to see you again. Scott, great hanging with you. Uh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, just bring us up to date, a little bit of your backstory, uh, where you came
1: from, how you got into what you're into today, and uh, just sort of feel, bring us up to date.
0: Yeah, it's a good question because I did not take a straight line here. This is not what I expected I would be doing. In fact, I usually don't lead with this because I want people to take me seriously. What I do now is a you know business consultant strategy guy. Yeah, heck no. I grew up as a child actor. Um, I, I did like 60 shows, got my first degree in musical theater performance, uh, recorded CD albums with a band. I mean, I, I was um, I was on stage talent. And let's just say, these days I'm pretty glad I grew up before Facebook and you posted everything. There are some photos of costumes and shows we put together that I'm like, yeah, I'm glad nobody has any photographic evidence of the shenanigans I got into. Um, Yeah, so I grew up as an act, I mean, NBC on a Christmas special, and people get all hyped, and like this is a good example of that. I actually played an Elvis personator in a Christmas movie. Um, and so like, yeah, the 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 bad Elvis costume that I put together. It was those were good times, but yes, total different path. So it was one of these things. My mom was a theater director, and so I did my first speaking role when I was four. And you know, what do you say to a 4-year-old who doesn't uh, throw up on stage, right? <laughs> you say good job. You must it. I'm like, I must be good. They all told me I did a good job. I said, mom must do that again. By the time I was 10, I was winning a bunch of stuff. It was on high school that I got on that NBC show and so. So some really fun stuff. So everyone said, you have the gifts, you got to do it. Got my degree, started doing some professional stuff and and honestly, I woke up, I grew up in a, a family that loved God and uh, had mission. And so I always felt like, okay, I'm doing this for Jesus, but it's really got to the point, start thinking about my life purpose, calling, what do I want to do? It, it really became clear to me, this is not actually what I want to do with the rest of my life. I was just mm-hmm. doing it because everyone said you should do it. So, So maybe that's the first challenge I'll say to listeners, if you're listening to this, here's what I now tell people when we talk about life career and I do mentoring stuff like that. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. I mean, you might, it, it, a classic example maybe more typical than mine. Say you're good at math. You should go into like finance and accounting, right? Um, maybe, but there are a lot of other ways to use your skills and brain and kind of raw talents for the kingdom. And so, so I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. So I said, I guess I love Jesus. I should work for ministries. So I went and worked at Focus on the Family and then in a summer camp, I was a leadership guy on their personnel team and Started working for local churches as a youth pastor and youth ministry. And and honestly, guys, I worked for some really nice guys who loved God. And some of them were really bad leaders. Uh, not all of them, but and I was talking to a mentor and I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it because it's not a moral failure. This isn't a theological problem. Like, I think these guys are biblically solid. I'm like, But oh my gosh, it's a nightmare. And they, I, I didn't even know how to describe it. So they gave me a business book. And, and honestly, if I could confess... The, the first thing I said was, listen, uh, I'm like a, a ministry creative guy. Like, I I don't do that math accounting stuff. And they're like, read the book. Uh, I ended up staying up till 2am reading the book that night, because it's the first time I had words to describe what I was wrestling with leadership and strategy. And it, it was a John Maxwell leadership book. I mean, just the classics, right? And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, no one had ever told me this stuff. So Books turned out. I, I joined the CD of the Month Club with John. I started going to conferences. I got a coach. I'm doing all this workshop, trying to learn on leadership and strategy. And it it was like lighting me up. And one day I'm shaking my fist at God. Right? It's not right. The kingdom's held back for bad leaders. and Somebody should do something. And it's like the Holy Spirit's just elbowing me like, yeah, somebody should do something about that. Um, so. I think that's my calling. It's definitely a passion. Uh, I kind of trying to come alongside leaders and help them realize the grand vision they have. Uh, I, I work with people who have this, this calling, this passion, like, no, somebody should do something and it should be done world-class in excellence. and excellence. And there's this gap between the vision I see and how do I actually get there? That's where I have kind of parked as uh, the guide in the gap to help people actually get to the next level in their dreams. And so, it's been fun. Um, my high school friends turned out to be the Kathy family that owned Chick Fil A. Um, went to high school with the guy who's a CEO now. And of course, back then, right, I was like, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna go be a star." You know, good luck with your little restaurant company. Yeah, hope you guys make it. Uh, yeah, they I think they're gonna make it. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna be all right. So, so about 15 years ago, I ended up working with the Chick Fil A folks, working on their leadership side, helping with strat doing this kind of stuff, but for Chick Fil A. <laughs> Uh, bounce around the company, doing a lot of upgrades, and um, yeah. So I'm not on full time staff anymore. I left that after a little bit, and then the first client to hire me back was Chick Fil A. So I was actually at their uh, their headquarters yesterday, their support center, doing some meetings and talking about the next rave of projects for next year. So still get to play with them, but now we help lots of folks. And and man, it's just it's classic God, right? Um, it never turns out the way I expect, and it's always better than what I thought it was going to be. So. It's it's been a ride, man. It's been a ride. All
2: right. Well, I love hanging with you, you know, as well. I call you Waz. Yeah. I like to say, you know, you want to serve with people you would go sailing with.
0: Yes. Yes. I
2: definitely go sailing with you and uh, certainly Scott Young. Uh, Let's drill down on that a little bit. People are obviously fascinated with Chick-fil-A. And a mutual friend of ours just visited uh, their headquarters Yep. And I asked you before we went on the air that I was surprised that Truett Cathy, the founder, he was 66 years of age when he opened up the first uh, Chick-fil-A
0: Yeah. So there's a bit of a a sliding transition between 62 and 66 is when it was taking off. Um, But he was a restaurateur in Atlanta, had uh, two locations, great restaurants, but just two. And he was highly respected by everybody in driving distance of those restaurants. And that's it. And so it was in his early 60s, the second restaurant burned down. And he actually says it was like the best gift God could give him because at the time he was He was personally managing both locations. Uh, and remember this is pre-internet, pre-cell phones, like he physically had to go shuffle paper and talk to people. And so he had come up with this sandwich as crazy as it sounds to say, but the first time anyone had put a boneless breast of chicken on bread and sold it. Like, you're like, how did nobody do that before then? But he did first in the world to sell a chicken sandwich, um, and it was taking off. And, and this is another little side peek most people don't realize. There's actually a secret recipe to the Chick-fil-A breading. And in, in when I say secret, I mean the people at Chick-fil-A, we don't know. Truett started a separate company that makes the breading and sells that to Chick-fil-A. Now, he owns both companies. Now, his kids do. But but the people at Chick-fil-A, like me and the leadership, no idea. We just know there's magical breading that comes over. So, so he did this whole setup. It was a really special sandwich, but he didn't want to run it himself. So he started licensing it. And then by the time that, that didn't go very well, because he would sometimes the other restaurants wouldn't follow the recipe. And then he would get blamed. Right. And I don't care how good your recipe is eight hours sitting under a warming lamp. It's not a very good sandwich anymore. So he's like, how do I make sure it's good and not? And then that's when, by the time he was 66, he had started uh, the first franchise and there's an early franchising. It was a new thing. So he, he's like, let's try out this crazy new franchise idea. And so the first Chick-fil-A and that's why it's franchised is because he didn't want to run it himself. He's like, I'm in my 60s. I already tried running two restaurants. Let's see if some franchisee will run it. It's enough control and engagement that it's quality, but but I don't have to personally do it. They get to run the restaurant and own that. And and yeah, when everyone else was getting ready to retire, Truett was still experimenting, still listening, looking for opportunities. and. And gosh, the empire that has been built since um, came because instead of winding down and saying, hey, I did my part, now I'm going to go back. He had a little ranch that he lived on and he could have gone down to his little quiet property, 30 minutes outside of town and quit. And instead, he just kept going. And, uh, and I think we're all better off for it.
2: Wait, what's the uh, story behind closing on Sundays?
0: That started way before the launch of the Chick-fil-A sandwich and the franchise. So Truett started his first restaurant. He was a World War II guy, uh, served in the army, came back. He and his brother took their GI Bill, sold their car, and started a 1950s diner in the 1940s. He's always a little ahead of the curve. But it, we're talking a tiny little diner. It had six stools. I mean, like that's, the, that's all they could physically fit in. One counter. You cook on this side. There's a counter, six stools. One room building, right? And so that was the whole deal. Well, he, ended, it was twenty four hours a day. They were right between the new Ford plant and the new Delta headquarters. So three shifts a day, and they were working like crazy. and they get to the end of the sixth day on Saturday. and they're like, we're tired. And also, we probably think we should go to church because um, they were Christian brothers, and they're like, and so we should probably like we're gonna take tomorrow off. And then they thought, you know, I don't think it's fair for us to do that. And then tell our staff that there was only two other people at the time, but tell those guys, they don't have to go. So we'll just, we'll just take Sunday off. And so from day one, they just said, Sunday's off. We're going to church, do what you want to do, but we don't think we should build this thing in a way that that doesn't honor the Sabbath and this, this fundamental idea. And so by the time Chick-fil-A came around, you know, 30 years later, uh, Drew was like, yeah, of course we take Sunday off. Are you kidding me? Like, why else would I do business any other way? And um, it's ruffled a few feathers. Like when they went to the malls, those early malls, they would actually say, hey, we can't let you in. Are you kidding me? You're not open on our busiest day. And here's what they actually did. It's And I, I challenge a lot of Christians to think about this. They said, fine, listen, run a test. And if we don't sell more in six days than all your other people who are open to seven, then you can close our lease. And um, let's just say they never lost that bet. God always wow. came through and they, they outsold everyone else in six days that everyone else who tried to stay open for seven. So were, were they one of the first restaurants inside a mall? They were the first restaurant in a mall wow. in the world. In fact, the the not only did they have the Sunday hurdle, the first few malls were like, are you kidding me? Why would we bring like a, a food establishment into our shopping experience? You're going to mess this whole thing up. So so all the food courts in the world owe Chick-fil-A, because they went mall to mall to mall convincing people, first ever restaurant in a mall, you should try. They won't have to leave, right? They'll all be around it. Eventually it became a truism, but yeah, nobody was trying it at the time. So lots of firsts going on. It, it it's not a it's interesting. He didn't innovate in a wild way. Like it wasn't, you know, AI technology, but he just thought, Lord, give me ideas. What can I do here? What can I do here? And these these quote-unquote small innovations stacked up to be a pretty unique thing.
2: Who, who came up with the, the ad or the concept of the cows? Yes. Eat, eat more chicken.
0: Brilliant. It's a brilliant campaign. Hilarious. And they've run with it a million different ways, right? Um, yeah, I, we've had a blast with that. That came out of an ad campaign with the Richards Group, who was an, is a major ad agency. We were partnering with them, but we weren't trying to do the cows. I say we, I was not around during this time. I was friends with them, but not on staff. I came on shortly after this one launched, but I'll tell you the story. Um, They were trying 3D billboards. That was the innovation they were trying. And here's honestly why. Because they couldn't compete with all their competitors on TV ads. McDonald's and Wendy's and KFC were just killing it, spending hundreds of millions of dollars uh, McDonald's right now is over a billion dollars a year that they spend on marketing and ad, ads just in the U S right. And Chick-fil-A said, we can't compete with that. We were just a regional brand at the time. This is in the nineties, mid nineties. They said, we can do fun billboards. So let's do 3d billboards. What can you do? And they ran four different ones. And one of them was eat more chicken, uh, 3d cows, eat more chicken. Well, that one just went nuts. Everybody's talking all about it. And they were like, forget all the other billboards. Go there. Um, so yeah, it was an, an attempt to to zig when everyone else zagged and just say, what can we do that's not crazy expensive? And again, just constant little tweaks that stack up over time, um, which if I'm going to interrupt the story a little bit, I'll just say, if you're, you want to take some lessons out of Chick-fil-A, A lot of people skip to where they are today. This multi-billion dollar, hyper-creative, the headquarters we were just talking about is this gorgeous campus with really cool stuff. And, you know, there's a cow museum in there and all this fun stuff. That's not, they never started that way and they didn't get there all at once. The one thing they have that I think is more valuable than all the other stuff is that every year they constantly tweak it a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And if you just keep improving a little bit at a time, and you stay with that for 40 plus years, you end up in a pretty amazing place uh, and you don't have to get there in all one fell swoop. Um, you don't don't, that was the Bible say, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Uh, just keep learning, learn how to learn and all the other stuff will come to you. Uh, tremendous. Wow. So many great principles
1: that, that we're here to help people in, increase the influence of their life that yes. they can be inspired and you've just given some some real inspiration i think someone listening will say hey maybe i'm not too old right I, maybe that that's there um maybe i don't have to change everything you just gave that principle just change a yeah. little thing um that uh, uh don't try to do what everybody else does mm follow your own heart closing on Sundays 3D billboards so those are great stories and you you have now taken your business uh, acumen and you've written this great book on making your brand legendary yeah and uh, i'm sure there are some principles some ideas that you would like to communicate uh, to people that are listening to us today just to help to move their life forward and and the, the principles that you teach apply to business and ministry and churches
0: unpack that for us. Glad you called that out. This is, this is in the first couple pages of the book, but it's not in the title because honestly the title gets really long. If I try to say like, so, so what we ended up doing was writing the book and the way I say it in the first pages, the language of the book um, officially is for the business owner. We say CEO and company, but in practice, you could have the exact same stuff and then just change it to pastor or executive director and members rather than customers. And I don't just say that as a hypothetical, I've been doing this with ministries and nonprofits from, from gateway church to, uh, to safe house outreach, homeless shelters to city serve. I mean, they're marvelous partners I've seen do this stuff. And so these are the same principles um, but I couldn't every single time I mention it use like all three terms that apply. We've done this in healthcare. There's a healthcare version where you talk about your patient instead of your customers. Because what the book focuses on is not the industry specific stuff. It's the human side of the equation, the fundamentals, right? And then you gotta you gotta fill in the gap. So the way you translate it might be different than this. Even even the difference between a church and a homeless shelter, right? There's a there's a slightly different application. But there are some fundamental principles, and that's what the book talks about. And then it gives you a bunch of the various examples. Um, here's how these guys did it. Here's these guys did it. And then you're going to have to sit down with your team and have the conversation. What's our version of that? right? So with that in mind, it. Ver- I've done this with many, many ministries. Let, let me give a couple of the ideas that help them understand. So the core metaphor in the book is this, we call it the customer experience engine or in some cases, you might say member experience engine, right, or um, constituent experience engine, but but it's the people we serve, and and you the engine metaphor is important to me because it's not random, it's not um, luck, it's a systematic thing. It's all every one of these is I build the system, and it's a repeatable set of t- activities and tools. We do this at this frequency, and it gets this outcome, and it just takes it away from this. Gee, I hope we get lucky uh, to like, no, we put a plan together. You do these activities, you get this outcome. So the first one is one most people skip over. And it's, it's what I would say, member insight or customer insight. Do you really know your people, the ones you serve? And I got to tell you, most of the time when we come in, we'll do sometimes assessments of organizations. Hey, how are you doing? What, what's working? What's not? And they'll usually say to us, oh, yeah, yeah, we have lots of insight on our, our people, And then what I find is they don't have insight. They have data, Mm -hmm. you know, facts, right? We know when they attend, we know what they give. We might know their zip codes, right? But we don't know why. Why did they come to us? What is it that spurred them to engage in the first place? What, What are they trying to do in their life that we're a part of? What's the bigger story of their life that we serve as a part of? Because what you find is that they don't really come just for you. They come because you're a part of their calling. You're a part of their story. There's some. You are the means to the end. You're not the end. Um, and so if you don't know what God is doing and calling to them, so one of the first litmus tests. Because I'm not. This isn't hype. It's like tactical stuff, right? Do you have member profiles? Maybe there's three, four, five typical kind. It's like a stereotypical thing, right? Let me give you the Chick Fil A Chick-fil-A example. Make it real tangible for folks. We'll talk about the difference between soccer mom Sarah and business owner Beth. Now, these women are both forty-seven years old, right? They both come every Monday. They order the number one value meal. Um, you know, they both have two point three kids. I mean, statistically, this is the same woman, right? The data looks the same, but when you get past the surface, you realize soccer mom Sarah is coming to Chick Fil A for social hours. She's meeting other moms. She's bringing two kids. One's in a stroller. They're going to play in the playground. Moms are going to meet, maybe have a Bible study. It's going to be great, right? Well, business owner Beth comes the same time, but she's not there for social hours. She's there to get away from the office pressure. She wants to sit on the quiet end of the store and just have a little space. Um, so we do little things that Sarah loves. We'll carry her tray for her. They have this little plastic mat you'll put in front of the The kids have cartoons on it and it's easy to clean up. Business owner, Beth, does not want you to put a plastic cartoon mat in front of her while she's eating her lunch. She wants you to not bother her. Soccer mom, Sarah, wants to chat up with you for an hour. And so the data looks similar, but then you get to know what's the story. I'm here to get away from the pressure. No, I'm here to be social. These nuances that you get into make all the difference. And so you get to, to as, as a pastor, like right? the 65-year-old who just retired, is in a very different place than, and, and your kids are scattered around the world than the 65 year old in your church whose kids all live in the area and you're still working, you don't want to retire. They look the same, they might tithe the same amount, but these are people whose lives are going through different things. Do you know your people? And again, it's not data, it's insight, it's the next level of stories and, and analysis. And you really know when you've got a little profile. And so Right away, you can say like, wait a minute, we're not we're not just like trying things, throwing it out in the market and hope people respond. We just go ask them. Like we literally, you can sit down with your people and say, hey, we're thinking about this. Would you engage? What do you want to do? Rather than what most people do is build it in secret and then make a big announcement and hope everybody responds. Right away, you can see you've just saved a ton of time and frustration and, uh, risk. And now we're being much better stewards of what God's given us. If you have this regular, and it's not a one time, I had a great conversation with Dave. I love that guy. And then I never talked to him again. It, It, Dave, Dave and I just hung out last week. Um, and I've still got like, well, tell me what's latest going on with you and what's God doing. And this, it's an ongoing conversation with your people and you put those things in place. When we do this little word picture in the book, that's the fuel that feeds everything else in the engine. If you don't have quality data, um, so the metaphor I'll use from the book is we use this. Do you know that you can run an engine, a diesel engine, on raw crude oil. Like this is real. This is not. I'm not making this up. That's not a metaphor anymore. That's real life. You don't have to put diesel fuel in there. You can just put crude oil, and it'll turn over and it'll run. Now it's a mess. There's a ton of waste. It's hard on the engine. Like you got to stop and clean it very often, but but it will function. So that's how a lot of ministries and a lot of businesses run. They just dump raw data in there. It's like crude oil. And what do you know? We function. It works. But you are creating a lot of waste and stress if you'll go upstream do some systemic work to create this ongoing habit of we tap, we talk, we ask, we survey, we sit down with them, we go to the job site. There's a lot of ways to do this. And you build up this rhythm of like, we just tune in tightly. Oh man, you've just saved so much frustration down the road. Everything else you do blesses them better when you actually know who they are as people.
2: You know, uh, I, I know you love being around emerging leaders, Yes, well, and uh, we have the joy of partnering with Grand Canyon University, which is such cool stuff happening there.
0: Love what's happening. talk about absolutely. innovative universities. Yes,
2: yes. And, and you and I have been a part of uh, an association for a while that's really targeting the younger
1: mm-hmm.
2: leaders. Yeah. And, you know, you're one of the most prolific Uh, leaders trainers facilitators really idea people that I know Mm. so I think you're a good person to ask this question you know to somebody that's in their teens early 20s what's the it what are what are the principles that you have observed that leads to that individual living a life of success and significance
0: yeah that's a great question um I'll give a few that I think are there's lots of nuances based on which path you pick but there are a few things I think that matter whatever path you pick um, and the first one kind of goes back to the chick-fil-A stories we've been telling and I would say is learn how to learn like this is the underlying engine that drives all the other skills right this skill if you figure this out you can figure out all the other skills and don't assume because Sadly, most people think of learning, they think of formal schooling, which I, I like. I did well in formal schooling and it was fun. I, I'm not a, a hater against the whole system per se, but, but it's also not ideal for most people. Um, sitting in a classroom, somebody speaking at you, taking notes, taking a test. There's especially in our modern times, we are in like the golden age of learning potential. Uh, what we're doing right now, podcasts, right? There's some YouTube. There's some world-class content that is free. I mean, just think of the two of you guys on here and some of the other guests I know you have. I've followed some of what you're doing. We're talking, these are the kinds of things you would have to physically get to another city, pay a ton of money and try to get permission to get in the room to listen to the great thinkers of our world. And now you can click, click, click and put this stuff on in the back while you do laundry or take your lunch break and put a video on and have someone challenge you while you're chewing your food. There's some phenomenal things. I, I would also say get a coach. Listen, I am an executive coach. Uh, you know, Some top level CEOs and athletes and artists will pay me to spend time with them. And guess what? I have my own coach because the process of sitting with somebody else, talking, challenging, just getting into my, asking me the questions that, Technically, I should know all the questions, right? I mean, I, I literally train people on how to be a coach and having somebody. So this one, God designed us this way, I think. And so figure out how to get good ideas, books. Um, I'll, I'll throw one out that I is, is I know, maybe this might be the most valuable thing I'll say today. Um, so I've become a huge fan of podcasts and audiobooks, and And this is the best part. And this is the secret sauce. And I want to challenge people. You can listen faster than you think. Your brain is capable of listening at faster than normal speed. So train yourself. It might take months. It took me years to get to the current speed I am now. Like we're talking almost a decade, but I got to the part where I can listen really fast and actually understand it. So but most people right away at the bottom of your little player, there's a little button, a little, you know, settings and you can go 1.25 speed, 1.5 and most of you wouldn't even blink. Like instantly you'll add 50% to your learning and it might even feel comfortable to you. Now, if it's uncomfortable, that's okay. Sit in it and slowly your brain will speed up. But like this is the learning how to learn. Where's the good content? Who are the right podcasts I need to follow? Can I fiddle with speed? Um oh, hey, can I get a my coach is a peer. It's another coach. We actually trade. Um so <laughs> for fun, we this is what we actually do. We sell each other our coaching for the exact same price, which which means we don't exchange any money. But we decided that we're $10,000 an hour for our pricing. So, you know, hey, I have a $10,000 an hour coaching client. Uh, It just so happens I'm also his 10,000 hour coaching client. But (laughs) the joke aside, it's free. Find somebody who just sit and talk once a month with. These kind of build these learning systems in your life, Um, reflection, journaling, right? We go down this whole path, but learn how to learn. And if you get that sorted, guess what? Everything else accelerates in your life. So that's one of my first big ones that I would say. And the second is this, get good at the fundamentals. See, the first question everybody asks you is not how skilled are you? I mean, you know, I'm I'm immense and all that stuff. Not how smart are you? Not how proprietary are you? Not, Not how nice is your team? The question everyone asks first is, can I trust you? Can I trust you? And until they can answer yes, nothing else matters. And so there are some fundamentals, especially young folks that need to figure out that, you know, it's like, this is petty and dumb. Yeah, but there are trust signals. I mean, I'll give you one I struggled with. Showing up on time. Now, family of origin, I don't know how this works for you guys. My wife and I, uh, we discovered we had totally different cultures here. We had a lot of um, discussions in those early days of our marriage about what, what was on time, right? Uh, she came from the family like 15 minutes early is on time, right? My family was like, if you're sliding in the door when it's nine, it's nine o'clock, you nine-ish, close enough, we're fine. And so I had a much more casual approach to being on time. Like, hey, we got there, you know, 9.03, who cares? And what eventually someone had to challenge me with was, Scott, 9.03 is not a big deal when the meeting starts at nine, except when you do it, it's just a pattern of, you said you'd be there at nine and it was a little off and it's about trust. It's, and the pattern of tiny things can actually be a big thing. No, one of those 903s was a big deal, but a pattern of 903s actually can be a big deal because it's not, it's like no one was saying anything in the first three minutes of the meeting. Who cares, right? This is 21-year-old Scott complaining uh, and they're like, well, it's about trust. And so operational excellence is not the fancy stuff it's my show up on time. When I say I'm going to do something, did I do it when I said I was going to do it? Um, did I exaggerate or was I accurate when I described what was really going on? Um, you know, did I, did I listen well? Did I show that I cared for them? Did I ask them back? Qu- There's some baby basic stuff that I think a lot of young people, especially gifted visionaries are like, yeah, yeah, who cares? I've got this grand dream from God. We're going to do this stuff for the world. And, and I, I got to tell them what they told me. Nobody cares about your grand vision if they can't trust you with the simple things. Or as the Bible would say, if you're faithful with small things, then I'll trust you with big things. Um, but until you're faithful with the small things, why would I trust you with the big things? So yeah, That's what uh, Bill Bright used to say. Uh, God blesses those
2: whom he trusts. And yeah, so that that's a great word, Waz.
0: Great word. I wish I had a fancier, cooler word, Dave. Like I, that's sometimes not very exciting to be like, get disciplined on your basics. But but I will say, I think it's good for our character. I, I'll speak for myself. A lot of the growth in those early years was for me learning to submit myself and serve in the tiny things. Um, and man, God, when God wants to bless you, man, he, he can overnight totally change your situation. Um, and so you know, back to the Truett starting late, sometimes folks are like, I don't have time to slow down and do this little stuff. Like, no, you do. And, and if God wants to accelerate things, he will. But, but first and foremost, get your heart right, get your excellence done, become a learner. Oh yeah, all, all the other details will follow. So now you've got me very curious. How
1: fast? Do you listen to podcasts?
0: Yeah, so okay, so i I, I don't go there because I don't want to freak people out, but um for my audiobooks, I listen to them at three point five times speed and for my podcasts, I listen to them at two point two five speed because audiobook narrators are trained to slow down like you, you i'm I'm a little bit of a fast talker, but even then it's like and then the next part of and you're like, oh, for the love, you got to be kidding me. But in podcasts, we talk more natural tone. So I can't go three and a half on podcasts. I lose them there. I'm at 2.25 on my podcasts. Um, I don't recommend that people jump there right away. It tends to be not. I could, it took me seriously over eight years to get to that point where I felt comfortable at these high speeds. But most of these players, you can just go like one to 1.1 to 1.2. I mean, you can just nudge it and get get to the edge of your comfort where I understand, but I'm having to think a little bit hard, and then sit there for three months, and one day you'll wake up and realize that two 1.3 speed feels completely natural to you. That's when you nudge it to 1.4. That That's my plan, at least.
1: You are listening very, very quickly. I'm going to ask one more question. Dave may have one, but just let me ask this. Your book talks about creating a legend. Everyone is building a life. What kind of legacy, when people, when you come to your Ancient
0: of Days, what kind of legacy do you want to leave for Scott Wozniak? Man, um, you know, the, the way I've been saying it lately these days is I, I feel like I'm called to be Merlin to the Arthurs of the world. Um, I think there are people that God has given them a vision for Camelot, and it's going to be amazing. And if I could come behind them and just add some, some magic in my metaphor, right? Add some skills, add some encouragement, add some insight. Maybe give them some tools like an Excalibur that helps them get there faster and better. Um, my, my passionate legacy would be that, that the men and women who built amazing things for the kingdom, that many of them would, would sit down and say, listen, maybe none of the rest of you know this guy, but let me tell you one of the people that helped me get here that saved me a lot of pain. This Scott Wozniak was a real inspiration and and, and tactical help to me, not just um, hype, but like he gave me some really cool tools that changed the way we did it. That my excitement is seeing the Camelots these people are going to build, seeing the world shape that I don't really care if I'm famous. It's funny. Remember, I grew up as a a performer. I used to, as a guy in my 20s, I was like, I'm going to be a star. And now I'm like, I don't care if anybody knows my name, except for the people who are the influencers. So the the less melodramatic way I say it is, I want to influence the influencers, which Mm. part of why this is a no brainer conversation with you guys, what you guys are trying to do is what I'm trying to do. Um, Let's set them up. I think you remember my story, right? The visionaries who don't know how to get there. They don't, they don't, they mean, well, they got a great heart. They just, no one ever taught them this stuff. I want to be the guy who steps in like somebody did for me and help me figure that out. So that, that's the deal. That's got me continually exploring. I'm launching books and online programs now. Uh, That's new. I hadn't done that in a long time. I've just been doing kind of in-person elite projects, but that doesn't scale very well. So now we're taking those lessons and turning them into tools that people who can't get me to physically show up. I can't, I've hit my limit. My calendar gets pretty full. I still have kids. I'm trying to be a good dad in the middle of all this too. And so, um, so yeah, so now we're adding a whole other set. So I think the methods on how I help leaders might change, but that's, that's the lifelong pursuit. Come, come behind these great leaders, help them get there a little bit faster.
1: How do people connect to your content? So you're generating content. How do people yeah. connect to it?
0: Yeah, I've got a newsletter and I, I just launched a podcast. So I'm learning from guys like you um, and the book and all that stuff, plus my company. But the easiest way to do all that stuff is just to go to my website, scottwozniak.com. That's S C O T T W O Z niak.com, Um And you were having fun with Swaz Consulting earlier. I'll just yeah. tell a little story here. Like That's it. actually my childhood nickname. So, so Dave called me Waz. Waz is really more the typical nickname, but here's the problem. I have an older brother who's less than a year and a half older than me. He's just one grade apart, most of our growing up, right? And so um, we end up going to different schools and college and all that. And so Dave, I don't know if you've hung out with my brother, but but when we were growing up, there's Waz, and then I'm the younger Waz, right? And so we had for, I don't know if you remember these days, we had our PE shirt for high school. We had to like write our name on our PE shirt and he wrote Waz. Well, I try to write Waz, and then we don't know whose PE shirt is. So, so I threw an S in front of my Waz name. And so there's my swaz when there's, when the two Wazes show up, the, the joke will be, which was was it? And so like, I'm, I'm swaz. So eventually we built a company, and uh, we're looking for a name. Uh, okay. And so, yeah, we went. So, Swaz, Waz, Scott Wozniak. Uh, go to scottwozniak.com. You'll see bit. all my stuff, and and yeah, be glad. By, to, get to By the know. way,
2: when people hear Scott Young speak, they listen at 0. .5 because they <laughs> they just want to soak it in.
0: Yes. You know, I have, full disclosure: there are some folks, and the content is so rich. I'll slow them down. Like, okay, hey. well, that's Scott Young.
1: Heck that's, yeah! That's who we got here, Dave. Swaz. I was hoping for some great closing thought <laughs> from, from you, <laughs> and then you come up with malarkey.
2: No, oh, no. <laughs> hey, well, Swaz, Hey, we love you, Thanks, and. Dave. I, I'm personally really grateful for the help you've provided me and CityServe.
0: Well, well you guys are doing world-changing process. stuff, man. Uh, talk about Arthur building a Camelot. You're leading some ridiculously powerful things. And so any tiny bit I can throw to help you guys out is uh, is an investment in the kingdom, man. Thanks, guys. Yeah.
1: Well, we want to thank you for being part of the Influencers Podcast and for our co-host, Dave Donaldson, Scott Wozniak, and myself, Scott Young. Thanks for being a part of today's conversation. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the
2: Charisma Podcast
1: Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at The Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence
2: to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.